0: Hello and welcome to the Vetfolio podcast series, Your Dream Job in Vet Med. Enjoy the journey with our expert facilitator, Mr. Stith Kaiser. We'd like to thank Hills Pet Nutrition for underwriting this four part series, which includes job search expectations, landing the right job, ingredients of a great resume, and prepare for your interview. Stith Kaiser is the founder and manager of My Veterinary Career at AHA. His industry experience includes facilitating career development workshops and speaking at national and state veterinary conferences. For other career development resources, please visit vetfolio.com recentgrads. Welcome to our second installment of Your Dream Job in Vet Med, Enjoy the Journey. Today, we'll be talking about the importance of landing the right job. This builds upon our last podcast where we talked about how important it is to set realistic job expectations. Landing the right job starts with knowing what the right job looks like, i.e. the process we went through, really delving into our passions in veterinary medicine and our expectations, whether it be where we live, our salary, our equipment and support staff. Until we know those things, we can't know what right looks like for us. Once we've identified what right looks like, it's time to prepare ourselves to land that right job. And I'll give you an example, when I'm at schools, I love asking students to raise their hand if they want to work in a progressive multi-doctor practice. And 75% of the room will shoot their hands up in the air. We all know why, it's very appealing to work in a practice like that, but the purpose of that exercise is to convey the fact that most of us want similar things out of a practice. And if most of us want similar things, it means competition for those few jobs is that much stiffer. To set ourselves apart, to differentiate ourselves so that we are one of those students that an employer picks out, we have to understand what sought-after skills are. There have been a lot of surveys done recently. AHA has conducted a few. Uh, The Washington State Veterinary Medical Association has conducted several through the Veterinary Business Management Association specifically asking practice owners what skills they look for in recent graduates most people would probably say well i need to be able to make a diagnosis and you're absolutely right that's on the list surgical skills depending on the type of practice you're going into are also very important the interesting thing is that out of a pretty heavy list of traits technical skills were only two of them the rest of them are things you some of which you probably expect some you may not for example communication skills every time i go into a classroom people say i'm sure communication skills are important the ironic thing is that while students realize how important communication is they're not always sure how it translates into practice communication means being able to get along with your coworkers. it means leading your team it means being able to talk to your boss not just about the good things asking for a mentorship for example but how to talk to him or her about changing drugs or changing protocols and it also means being a leader through communication in the exam room so that you can build that rapport and gain that compliance. I just mentioned leadership a couple times. That was another term that showed up over and over again on the list. Even if you never wanna own a practice, you never wanna be a medical director, let's say, just because you have a DVM, you're gonna be expected to be a leader from the moment you walk into the clinic. One of the biggest struggles I've seen recent graduates have is that they're not in the leader mindset, they don't lead by example. Coachability is huge. For any of you who have played sports uh, or coach sports, I see coaching on resumes quite a bit now as well, none of us are perfect, none of us are at the top of our game, and coachability means that we are willing to build on the great experiences and strengths we already have and get even better. Teamwork, kind of a cliche, I see that on resumes all the time, but when you've got a hectic day, when you've just lost a patient, that's when the importance of teamwork really shows through. Business acumen was ranked in the top three skill sets by 77% of the respondents to one of the surveys. Practice ownership is a great option, and I know it really appeals to some people, but even if you never want to own a practice, you need to understand the economics of veterinary medicine. Everything that you do, from what salary you want to make, to how long you spend in the exam room, to the compliance you achieve, all eventually goes back to business acumen and understanding how all of those things relate. Lastly, species-specific skills popped up. If you wanna go into certain types of food animal practices, then palpation skills are gonna be very critical. We see a lot of practices these days that are not so slammed with clients that they just need a warm body, and that means they are actively looking for an associate who will bring a specific skill set to the table. For example, that could be dentistry or nutrition or behavior. Ortho is something I've seen a lot recently. Find what your passion is figure out how to build that skill set and then market it. Once you've discovered what you want to do and what makes you unique, go through that list, figure out areas you're weak on and then use your summer experiences, your externships, your preceptorships to gain the experience there so that you can convey to a practice owner what you've done. Once you've done that and actually have something to pitch, I recommend focusing on networking. I touched on this as we were talking about job search expectations and I can't overemphasize the importance of it. I'm always amazed when I go speak at a school or if I'm at a conference and I hear a great speaker up there, how few people go up and talk afterwards. Even as a speaker, I'm terrified to go do it at conferences. I understand what that feeling is like, but veterinary medicine is such a small world, and if you're trying to figure out how to stand apart and separate yourself, having the reference from someone who is well-known in the industry can be key. The next step, once we've done those things, is packaging our skills. And we're gonna talk more about how to do that on our podcast titled, Ingredients of a Great Resume. A cover letter and a resume get our foot in the door. That's gonna lead to a phone interview, which will then hopefully lead to a working interview, which then lands us in employment negotiations. I hear people ask, well, what do I ask for for a salary? How do I negotiate a salary? The key to negotiation is to have something worth negotiating for. That's why cultivating these skills is so important. During the interview process, a lot of people get hung up on what questions the employer is going to ask you. And while it is very important to know what those questions are, and while I don't recommend having rehearsed answers, I do recommend jotting down some bullet points of key points you want to mention when certain questions are asked. It is also equally as important to have great questions to ask the interviewer. I'm amazed when I talk to practice owners who have just conducted an interview, and the reason they decided not to hire the person wasn't because of how she answered questions. It was because of the lack of questions she asked. If all of those things go well, we're going to end up in an opportunity where we can negotiate our salary. Think about, I'll go back to a sports analogy, and I apologize people that have never played sports. One of the keys to winning a game is knowing your opponent's strengths and weaknesses. I don't mean to set up your employer as an opponent because they should end up being a great ally, but when we go into a negotiation, and we start asking for things. Whether it is salary, schedule, or pieces of equipment, it's really important to understand the implications of what we're asking on the practice owner. For example, if we ask for a certain salary, we need to know that whatever salary we ask for, the general rule of thumb is we have to produce five times that to be worth it for the practice for example if you want to make $70,000 a year which would be a pretty average salary these days you've got to produce $350,000 a year when a practice owner asks you how much do you want to make don't just throw out $70,000 say I understand that I've got to produce roughly five times what my salary is therefore I need to produce $350,000 a year here's how I plan on doing that Knowing some KPIs or key performance indicators can help you make that argument. For example, knowing average client transactions, or ACTs, the national average of small animal practice is about $145 to $167. That basically means when you as a veterinarian go into a room, when that client walks out, that's what they're going to be billed for. There are certainly unethical ways to pad that ACT, but if you practice thorough medicine and you gain compliance, that is not an unachievable number at all. Knowing ACT is important, though, because it's hard to get at what you want your gross production to be, $350,000, for example, without breaking it into smaller bites. If we know what our ACT is, we know how long we have to spend in the room with clients, helps us arrive at that number. When you're negotiating, I also recommend you ask about clients. For example, we know that there should be roughly 15 to 25 new clients a month per full-time equivalent or FTE veterinarian. If I go into a practice and they've got 10 new clients a month per FTE, I'm going to be concerned as an associate that I'm not going to have the client load that I need to make the money that I need to make. Active clients is another important number. We usually define active clients as a client who has been in once in the last 18 months. That's important to know because the average number of active clients per FTE, full-time equivalent, is 1,200 to 1,600. If I go into a practice that has 1,000 active clients per full-time doctor, I'm gonna be a little concerned. Now, if I see a lower number of active clients but a higher ACT, that's okay. If I'm seeing an ACT of $250 an hour, for example, I know, or for poor client, I know that I can see less clients because I'm probably practicing more thorough medicine and I'm getting more compliance. On the flip side, you may go into a practice where they have 2,000 active clients per doctor. That's not a bad thing either, but it probably means they're spending less time in the exam room, their ACTs are probably lower, but they're making up for the revenue per client with volume. Again, nothing right or wrong with either side of the spectrum, but if you want a certain type of practice, these KPIs or key performance indicators can tell you a lot about how that practice practices medicine. I mentioned on our last podcast about the work-life balance and people wanting part-time work. It's fine to want a part-time schedule. No issue with that whatsoever, but you've got to ask for realistic salary numbers if you want to work part-time. And realize that if you're working part-time, you've now put that owner in a position where she probably is going to have to hire another associate veterinarian to make up for the hours that you're not working. It's important to take these things into consideration because it's much better to go into a negotiation already knowing what their objections might be and have solutions for it versus just going in and proposing problems. There are a lot of great resources out there when it comes to searching for jobs, cultivating your skills, or job negotiations. The AVMA comes out with a salary report every year for the previous year's recent graduates. My veterinary career and the team at the American Animal Hospital Association have a lot of great financial tools to help you figure out how to best negotiate. I really encourage you not to use Dr. Google and go to some of these reputable sites. DVM 360 is another one, Veterinary Team Brief. Utilize some of these sites that really hang their hat on knowing these numbers. And the more of that you do before going into negotiations, the more likely you are to land the right position. Thank you for listening today as we discuss tips for landing the right job. Please join us on our next podcast as we discuss ingredients of a great resume.